Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And do you want to see something really spooky? Ooh, spooky, very spooky. Well, you know what's coming to Richmond, Virginia? Nightmare Weekend. And you know what else is coming to Richmond, Virginia? It's me and Ashley Edward Miller. Yes, the legendary Ashley Edward Miller that you know and love from Inglorious Treksperts in the 4-3 movie, along with me as we descend with a bunch of happy haunts on Nightmare Weekend, October 13th through the 15th, October 13th through the 15th in Richmond, Virginia. And we're not coming alone because there's also going to be such great horror icons as Danny Trejo, Tony Todd, and if you don't think we're going to ask you about The Visitor, you're crazy, Richard Dreyfus, Jeffrey Combs. You know, he did these horror movies, too. It wasn't just Star Trek. <laughs> we have a very animated or reanimated conversation with him. The stars of American Werewolf in London, David Naughton and Griffin Dunn. Boy, and if Jenny Agutter were there, I think we would probably pay to go ourselves. Um, Cheeto Brothers, Ken Foray. The stars of Fright Night, William Ragsdale and Chris Sarandon. Andrew Devoff. Now, I gotta tell you, I've been re-watching Lost. He's really good in that. There's gonna be an E.T. reunion with Henry Thomas, D. Wallace, Robert McNaughton, C. Thomas Howe, and more. And so many other guests, including Laura Birch, Vanessa Shaw, who will probably not be talking about working with Kubrick, although I'd like to talk to her about that. Tim Reed from WKRP in Cincinnati. No less Nesman, though. Samantha Mathis, and many, many more. So, come join Ashley Edward Miller, myself, and a bunch of great horror stars in Richmond, Virginia at Nightmare Weekend. We hope to see you there. Find out more at galaxycon.com. That's galaxycon.com, and we'll see you at Nightmare Weekend, October 13th through the 15th. And if you say it, you have to say it like this, Nightmare Weekend. Anyway, happy Halloween. <laughs> okay, bye. This is Peter Holmstrom, and if you're a fan of Star Trek, check out my new book, The Center Seat, 55 Years of Trek, the official companion book to the hit documentary series by the Nacelle Company, which chronicles the history of Star Trek from the early days of Lucille Ball and Desilu all the way to through the end of Enterprise, featuring new and expanded interviews from Trek legends such as David Gerald, Rick Berman, Ronald D. Moore, Harold Livingston, Walter Koenig, Kate Mulgrew, Nana Visitor, Robert Picardo, Tim Russ, Brandon Braga, Lisa Klink, and of course, in Glorious Trexpert's own, Mark A. Altman, as well as the final interviews from Kirstie Alley and Leonard Nimoy, in addition to so, so many more. Pick up The Center Seat, 55 Years of Trek, available today in hardcover and digital wherever books are sold. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and welcome to the sixth season 
of Inglorious Trek Spirits. I'm here with Darren Dockerman, Ashley Miller, and we and are you. all the Inglorious Trek Spirits, and we welcome you, fair listener, including special appearances by Gene Roddenberry. No, we're not going to do that again. <laughs> I'm still trying out new material for the, the new season. We haven't quite uh, figured it out yet. But I'll tell you what we have figured out. We figured out what a great talent Walter Koenig is. What a, you know, we had Walter Koenig uh, uh, check off or bester to a lot of people right. uh, uh, at the booth next to us. Uh, he's signing next to us. And of course, uh, we've really had some great times with Walter. Um, he was at our uh, American Cinematheque screening of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, where he famously said, hey, this is a pretty good movie. I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> really good. That, that, was, that, was, that was great. And, and of course, uh, we had him in the studio. And we had him in the studio to talk about Chekhov's Enterprise, which I think to this day remains one of our great episodes. Yes. I, I love that. Um, I love that we did... I love that we did all these wonderful episodes devoted to Star Trek, the motion picture. And that to me was one of the best. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because it, it, again, it's that Trek archaeology that I love so much. And, um, I think next year, next year, 84, I hate to say it, boys, you mean is the 40th anniversary of Star Trek three, the not- search for Spock. Okay. And we're going to have to show it some love. We're going to have to do some special episodes. I don't, Aren't I don't we supposed to have some kind of a that. cage match with like Terry Metalis or something like that? Over Stryker? that's the rumor, and mm-hmm. I think Steve Asbell is somewhere in between. I think he's walking the line. I I think he because I thought he was going to be on our side. He said, "Oh yeah, you know, I know Terry and Terry and me are really going to we going to set you guys yeah, straight. We're going we're to come down there with a couple of our boys and uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some of the fancy heaters, a couple of pipe hitting Klingons." But I thought I said Asbel. I thought you were on our side with this. I don't know. He's such a studio exec. It's like you know. Yeah. It's like you never know. He's waffling where he uh, where he's going to fall. He's waffling. He's a waffler. But I'm telling you, he's going to fall. He's going to well look. There's no winning that (laughs) argument for anybody but us. Look, I think we said it. Star Trek Three. We love it. Yeah. We enjoy it. It's not a good movie. Yeah. It's just the way it is. (laughs) You just have to accept it. It's yeah. not a good movie. It doesn't like, mean we don't enjoy watching it. It's like how the mean crew you should feels, enjoy watching. Like it. We think crew, you're a bad person for like. It's like how the crew feels about Khan. We can admire him and be against him at the same time. That's right, and it exhibits two dimensional thinking. Right, oh, but you're not like sure. Marla MacGyver's. You don't take him to bed. You know, come on. You what? can admire Khan <laughs> as a genetically superior tyrant, but don't you know. don't. You don't There's, betray your entire. Ricardo is a beautiful man, so I don't know. You know, I'm not going to betray the podcast to say I like Star Trek three. I won't do it. Won't do it. Do uh, well. But I think we got to do some episodes. We got to figure out who we talk to about Star Trek three, because of course, you know, there's not a lot of people to talk to about them. <laughs> but but there are some, and I think people uh, love it though. It, it can light it, it up. It's like all those of you to a kill nuts. That think it's such a great James Bond movie. They love the Star Trek three too, and I really think it's nostalgia. I think of it's like the first movie they nothing, saw in a theater. There's nothing wrong with that. If it's the first movie you saw, I pity you, but I don't feel bad for you. I pity the fool. Uh, <laughs> um, I look. It's uh, I pity you, but I do not dismiss. There him. are many ways to love Star Trek three, but some of them inappropriate. We don't have to lie to ourselves about it. 
You don't have to lie. <laughs> That's true. But anyway, what, what you know, you know, one of the best compliments I think we got during this interview with Walter Koenig um, was when he said, you know, I haven't been asked that before or I haven't told that story in a long time. Because the one thing I think we, we'd interviewed Walter once before in Richmond, I believe. And it was a really good interview. Unfortunately, there was a problem with the recording. We weren't able to share it on the podcast. But I think it helped us to know which directions to explore. Right. Um, and of course, um, you know, it's funny because, as I said, he was in the booth next to us. And I think we said to him, he said, Walt, is there anything you want us to specifically talk about? And he said, no, whatever you want to do. Whatever you, want, whatever you guys are interested in. So, I mean, you know, he didn't really have any kind of um, anything he wanted us to focus on, which was fine. I'd, I'd uh, rather just not talk about Star Trek ever again, if it's all the same <laughs> to you guys. Well, you know, one of the things that surprises me, as you'll soon hear, is how much love there was for Babylon 5 and, and the yeah. character of Bester that he played, which he was terrific. I have to, I agree. But it, it was interesting because it almost felt like there was more... Uh, excitement over Babylon 5 than there was over Star Trek. Right. Right. Yeah. Surely so, the best yeah. of times. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly there was a terrific enthusiasm for uh, for him as Bester, as that character. I think it, mainly because, I mean, how to put this, um, there was more for Walter to do yeah. as Bester. Than there yes. was uh, for him as as Chekhov, and I think well, he that, got to you know, show more we, range. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I think that makes an impression on people. Yeah, I mean, he had the the, the lost love of his, and uh, you didn't know if you could trust him. He was a, a tenuous ally, or you know, um, I, 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 you know, and it, I think it was, I think it was great that um, J. Michael Straczynski gave him that opportunity because you got to see the range that he had. I, I yep. mean, you know, we opened the the, the panel. With a clip from, um, you know, where he plays a gangbanger in Alfred yeah. Hitchcock Presents with James Caan. And it's so great to see him in a role so different from Chekhov. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, it makes sense that he, of course, was cast as the Davy Jones of the cosmos. That's right. Um, but he was Chekhov. a delight on the panel, as you'll hear. And uh, what you won't hear is him getting up and, uh, and becoming uh, very animated. Uh, in talking to the audience and us, and uh, so animated, he jumps off the stage. He jumps but off the at, stage at one point. Yes, it's uh, it's quite. It was quite uh, startling and unnerving for us. You, well, you, you can tell. Hear you the can moment see our faces. I, I think I said, "Oh shit!" into the microphone. So that will be your <laughs> yes. signal that it just. Please happened. don't hurt yourself, Walter. He, he um, leaped from the stage and went out to the crowd because there was no microphone. So yeah. he took his microphone. You know, instead of the mountain coming to him, he went to the mountain, and uh, it was crazy. Yeah, but it but it was fun, and you know, occasionally you can hear him. He he's gesticulating so much that he moves the mic away from his mouth, so sometimes he's a little harder to hear. But uh, still, it's a it's a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful moment and a wonderful panel, and uh, uh, we hope that you like it because we do. And we'll be right back with Walter Koenig after these few commercial messages. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment.
Log of the Starship Enterprise, Stardate 5943.7. Captain Kirk, this is Lieutenant Uhura. Mr. Spock is ready to patch in. Go ahead, Mr. Spock. I'm on the surface of the destroyed barbarian planet now, Captain. Destroyed? What do you see, Mr. Spock? The surviving inhabitants are in a dreadful condition. It seems they can't control their limbs, and their minds are dull and useless. Fascinating. They seem to be in a state identical to that curious 20th century Earth disease called hard drug abuse. I suspect it has destroyed all meaningful life on this wretched planet. A tragic find, Mr. Spock. As a Vulcan, I find the need for hard drugs to be totally illogical. But as a half-human Spock, surely you can appreciate the suffering that hard drug abuse causes. We can only hope that other civilizations will not make the same mistake. Explore the far reaches of the universe with the Starship Enterprise and Wendy's. Because right now, with the purchase of a Wendy's fun-packed meal, you'll receive a free Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan movie poster. Imagine it. You get just the right size Wendy's hamburger, french fries, and soft drink or frosty, plus this exciting color wall poster free. So beam yourself to Wendy's for a fun-packed meal that's truly out of this world. But be careful. The Wrath of Khan awaits you. It's the Star Trek Command Communications Console for use with the Star Trek Communicator sold separately. Each uses one 9-volt battery, not included. The Command Communications Console has a multicolor phaser light screen. You can broadcast up to 1,300 feet, and there's a Morse code key that you can buzz out loud or broadcast to the communicators. The Star Trek Command Communications Console. Communicators sold separately in pairs. From Mego. so excited to be uh, doing our final panel of Galaxy Con Osmond. I'm bringing out my partner in crime from Inglorious Trexperts, Darren Docterman, Ashley Miller. But more importantly, we have the man who's been looking all weekend for the nuclear vessels, Walter Koenig. <laughs> So, did you find the nuclear vessels? No. Okay. Not in Alameda. We, uh, that was a clip from Alfred Hitchcock Presents back in the days when you were an actor going from show to show. You were doing shows like The Man from Uncle, um, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, um, and just. I Spy. I Spy, of course. Um, what was it like for you being. You know, sort of a working actor in the 60s without a, without a steady gig yet. Um. Well, the, the early 60s were fun. I mean, uh, I started working. Um, I, I had no uh, heavy responsibilities. I, I wasn't married. I didn't have a family. Um, I didn't work very frequently, but it was every time was, was, was a, there was a sense of accomplishment, you know, and a sense that I'm that one step further into the business. I'm, you know, uh, I'm, 
I'm not yet a veteran but, uh, of the business, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting jobs occasionally, and good jobs, actually. I mean, that was the, uh, the guest lead opposite James Caan. Um, James Caan and I went to the same drama school together. We were there at the same time. So it but was, you didn't get kicked out. No, he, he got kicked out. <laughs> he got kicked out only because he didn't get along with one of the speech teachers. And um, she, she evidently um, declared that she would not return if he did. So at that, at that juncture, she was more important than Jimmy was. So at that point, you know, bada beep, bada bop, bada boop, he's out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even realize it until we came back in the second, seat, second year and he wasn't there. But um, he was a presence. He was a, you know, a very strong presence at school. Our class, now of course, I don't know how many of you people here, you're probably all under 50, so, so when I mention these names, I don't even know if you'll, if you'll know them. But in my class of 70 or 75 students, was James Kahn, Dabney Coleman, Chris Lloyd, um, Jessica Walter, and a couple of other actresses named Elizabeth Ashley, Elizabeth Ashley and Brenda Vaccaro, who all did leads in movies. Yeah. They all did leads in movies. So it was an, an amazing class, you know, out of 70. And it was great. I don't know, I, I, once in a while I reminisce about the old days, particularly the older you get, the older I get, the more I, I think about the past and I sort of gravitate towards the best times, you know? Sure. Think about those. And um, that first year in the Neighborhood Playhouse was one of the best years of my life. Classes all day, all, the kind of classes that I love, you know? Uh, some that I was terrible and I was we had a, we had a boys class. I was the only one that wasn't ever asked to sing. I was <laughs> it was just one of those things. But I just loved those classes. And, and there wasn't really any competition. We were, we were just trying to get better as actors. We weren't worrying about showcasing. We weren't worrying about you know, where a job was coming from. We were, we were there for the purpose of learning, of just becoming better at, at our craft. Um, I did work. I did work in a hospital. Um, I had no money, I had absolutely no money. So I worked as an orderly in a hospital in New York um, while I was going to school. I would go to school from, uh, I don't know, nine o'clock to four o'clock. Then I'd go home and I'd try to sleep for a few hours and then I'd work from midnight to eight in the morning uh, Which hospital was it? Mount Sinai. Because my, my mom was a, a nurse in training there. Oh, yeah? So, at the same time. At the same yeah. time? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knows, maybe you're too dated. Well, you know. <laughs> she, uh, she did say she knew a lot of nice Jewish boys. <laughs> well, I was already through college. I had already graduated college. Sure. Went back to the neighborhood playhouse. Yeah, so that was, that was a great year. It was a great year. Um, got to just do th plays and, then, and and even though I was, a, a, I, 
even though I couldn't sing, I, 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 I loved the, the voice classes and just had a terrific time. Thank God uh, Star Trek never did a musical episode. Between you not being able to sing and Leonard thinking he could sing, it would have been a, a terrible episode. Leonard? Yeah. Well, what about Bill? <laughs> what about him? I mean, I, 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 I had that, that, that tape of him doing all those Elton John songs. Oh, sure. <laughs> and I played it I played it for my daughter's daughter and her friends. And they thought it was supposed to be funny. Bill says that they were supposed to be funny now. <laughs> <laughs> Mars ain't the kind of place to raise a kid. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> what, what kind of classes were there for you to take at the time? You said voice uh, for singing and et cetera, and yeah. projecting. We also, believe it or not, we also had a, uh, uh, a class on the, uh, on the history of theater. Sure. Uh, and that was great fun because I could take notes or not. <laughs> we, we didn't have any tests at the end of this of the year. When I realized we were never going to be tested, I just relaxed and just closed my eyes and, and listened to what was going on. It was, it was great. It must have been disappointing because you obviously have such warm feelings to that period of time and nostalgia that when you were reunited with Christopher Lloyd, he was such a method actor that he didn't want to talk about any of that. He was a method actor? Well, Christopher Lloyd, when he... No, he wasn't. <laughs> what kind of Trexpert are you? Chris, Chris and I were best friends. Uh, we, we hung out together. In fact, he, he... You know, the character he played, Reverend Jim? or what Sure. He, um, that was... That had to be an extrapolation of his family history because he came from enormous wealth. Mm. They own Texaco. They own the whole oh. Texaco oil. And uh, I went, I spent the weekend up at his country home, you know, with the elevator, the, <laughs> the house with the elevator wow. in it, and the um, two-story pipe organ. And so he was, the, he was, you know, the, and he dressed like he did, you know, on, on taxi. I mean, he, he, like a slob. Yeah, total slob. <laughs> Before the holes in your jeans were fashionable. Right. You know? <laughs> um, but he was, and he had an MG, you know, mm -hmm. that one of those little sports cars. Yeah. He left it on the street every day. Every day he got a ticket. Every day he got a ticket. Didn't matter. Again, didn't, didn't care about. It. You know, just a terrifically. Uh, um, Regular guy, just a regular guy. He must be paying a lot in alimony then, because his autograph is going for a lot of money these days. You know, he, he, I don't know where all that family money went. I don't know. <laughs> was, was it exciting for you when you found out that he was going to be doing Search for Spock? I mean, to have the chance... No, I was pissed off. <laughs> no, I really was. Um, what happened was, we had this great relationship you know, hung out together. He thought I was very funny, which is uh, interesting since he's made his career out of being very funny. 
Um, but, um, oh, so we were do doing uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture when he was doing Taxi. Taxi, yeah. right. So I wandered over to his end of the lot and I, uh, I knocked on his dressing room door and he comes out and said, help me God, this is a guy who's my best friend for two years. He comes out and goes, uh, yes. I said, what are you doing, Chris? <laughs> Method. He wouldn't acknowledge me. He, you know, he, he kept this freaking thing going about being taxi, you know, being Reverend Jim. And I finally said, well, screw it. <laughs> I walked away. And I didn't see him again. Microphone. I didn't see him again <laughs> until he was playing... Crooge. Yeah, yeah, what was his name? Crooge. Crooge. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me like... Uh, I never forget a face. And there was a real sense of self-consciousness, which almost made me forgive him, because <laughs> he obviously remembered that he was a jerk, you know? Aww. <laughs> So, yeah, and then we, we got over it and we were fine. Yeah. Because you went into Star Trek Three with not the greatest feelings because you had had such a oh great role. Oh, my God, I had terrible feelings. Yeah. I, I, I had, no, this, this, thank you. Thank you, Mark, because I, <laughs> I don't generally tell this particular story. Um, I had done, I had such a nice role in Star Trek Two. You know, I, I really appreciated that they had given me something to do. And working with Ricardo Montalban was wonderful. He was a terrific guy. Just such a gentleman. And he was so continental and kissed all the ladies' hands. And he was just a delightful guy. Um, so when Star Trek III was being talked about, I figured, you can't go anywhere but up. You know, you, you did a good job in two. Me. I'm talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, it can only mean that it could be better in three. And I got a, and I started hearing rumors about the script. People who had read it, and that said that your part is not as, as, as good as it was in two. So I came to the studio to read the script uh, with my agent. My agent drove us in his car. And I met uh, with Harv Bennett, and he was, he was very friendly, but I was uncomfortable. Because I knew I wasn't going to like the script. So he gave us each a copy of the script to, to read. Because I hadn't signed yet. You know, there was there's some pretend thing going on, like I wouldn't sign unless I really loved the script. Well, that wasn't the case, you know. I would have signed. Um, but I, I wasn't prepared to, to be very disappointed. And I was. I was really disappointed with uh, Star Trek III. And um, Harv Bennett had asked us to, you know, to hang around after we read it, and he'd come down and he'd talk to us. Well, I was willing to do that. We came in my agent's car. He had another appointment. He said he couldn't wait. So I jumped in his car and we left. Bennett was furious. He was absolutely furious. He knew that I must not have liked the script. Uh, and that I hadn't stayed was was an incredible slight to him. And he was very, very upset with me. So I got a call from my agent saying, 
um, this was very early in the negotiations, and it's almost a, a matter of form that the first offer is not going to be their final offer. You know, then you negotiate from there. You get something more than the first offer. So the casting folks had called my agent and told them that my, the first offer was a take it or leave it. And although that's not, in the, that's not a really a contractual term, it pretty much means you take it or you leave it. I mean, that's, it's really a final resort. You know, it's, it's when, you've ended, when you've come to the end of negotiations. And uh, I knew it was less than they were going to be offering George and Michelle. And I couldn't in, in good conscience take it. I simply couldn't take it. I called my family together, my wife and two kids. I said, I'm not going to be in Star Trek Three. And, uh, you know, it wasn't such a big deal to them. But it was a big deal to me. I felt really bad. I went to bed feeling... Because I said, I leave it. I just said, I leave it. Can't do it. Next day, I get another offer, you know. So, there's a lesson to be learned there, part of which is that we really were more important to the show than we were given credit, you know, back in the day. Um, we knew that there were three stars and that they were going to be treated with, with the greatest uh, respect. Um, we were never treated badly. It was not a thing like, you know, we had a lot to complain about. It was an era, particularly when we were doing this series, when you really had a caste system, C-A-S-T-E, even if you had six or seven running characters, there were the principal ones, the primary ones, who got the billing in the front of, the, of, of each episode, and then there were the supporting actors who were there um, and had, you know, were there every week, but had far less uh, importance in terms of the, their contribution. And their billing was at the end of the show, and not, not only at the end of the episode, but interspersed with the guest stars. So and we didn't even have that kind of respect. Um, so, I don't know what the hell I was saying. Their revenge, <laughs> their revenge was to put you in the pink, uh, the pink Pushkin outfit in that. That was later. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, that was three. Oh, that? Yeah. Very, in three, yeah. Story? Yeah, well, but they don't. <laughs> oh. Yeah, well, that was, that's a, it, was, it was very interesting because they put me in this pink outfit. It was, it was not fashionable to be dressed in pink <laughs> if you were a guy. Not the then. big white um, collar. Yeah. It was the white collar. But the pink yes. was okay. It's like Jack Horner. So, um, you know, who was I to complain? That's the way I felt. And, and uh, this was the second movie. Third, third movie. Third, third movie, yeah. right. The first and, time they see you on the bridge. Directing. And Leonard came up to me after the second or third day of shooting, maybe the, even the first day, and they said, uh, we've looked at the dailies, and that uh, I don't like that pink costume you were in, we're going to change it. And I said, oh, thank God. <laughs> he says, well, why, didn't you hell, why the hell didn't you say something? Why didn't I say something? 
because I never thought they would listen to me. That's why I didn't say anything. I thought, you know, I remembered how we were treated. We weren't treated badly. I, I don't want to leave that impression. It's just that we were, were sort of indifferent to the whole thing. Bill never said hello. You know, it was, it was we were there and we, we did our job. And, um, we participated and we, we, during the series and we laughed when everybody laughed. But there wasn't a sense of our being integral uh, to what was going on. And we carried that over when we started doing the movies. And um, even though by then we had been exposed to fandom right. and learned that they loved us all, you know, regardless of uh, how much we contributed, it was just you're part of Star Trek, you're, you're, you're family, you know, and you should be treated as family. So it was then that, you know, it was then that we started to feel our oats a little bit. We began to realize, you know, that they do consider us to be important, to be significant. And it would make a difference if we weren't there. And, uh, and the attitude that <coughs> was basically Bill's <coughs> was not that was evidently not the country's. Bill really thought of us as being subordinate and hardly acknowledged us. It wasn't mean. He never did anything mean. Well, not to me. Not <laughs> anything mean. But he just didn't consider us to be <coughs> important to the job. It was the fans. The fans that kept, you know, bringing more and more reinforcement to our being involved, you know. Well, the expectation that you would be more involved was understandable because on two, Harv had involved you so early to look at the script and give your thoughts on the, on the script and, and in addition to the fact that you had a much larger role, but he really leaned on you for advice, which he took. Yes. Yeah, that, that, well, that, was, that was interesting. Uh, I, be, no, I, I got the script before three and was disappointed. I got the script before two and was aghast. Uh, I, I, I couldn't believe it. It was such a violation of structure, of literary structure there, that I couldn't believe that no one else had told Bennett, you can't do this. You can't kill one of the principles, one of the <clears throat> two most important actors in the second act. You know, that's that happens, that's the, that's the curtain scene. That's the end of the movie. If you're gonna kill somebody who's a hero like that, you make it the climax of your story. So I called him without having, having spoken to him before that and said, um, I'm sure you've told it, I've been told this, but you've got a serious uh, problem of structure uh, with killing Spock, you can't do it. He's, he says, well, he thought I was calling to, to talk about acting. I said, I'm not, I'm not calling you as an actor. So he asked me to come in. And I came in and I sat with him and the other producer, who was a great guy. Bob Salen. Yeah, great guy. Lovely human being. And uh, I said, I know you've heard, and they hadn't. Nobody had told 
I mean, if you've taken one literature course or one course in composition, <laughs> you know that. You know you can't do that. So he was sufficiently impressed by my passion, you know. I mean, I, I had to be right because I was so freaking passionate about it. Um, so he asked me to do a Trekkie run on the script, to go over the whole script and find out the cons in inconsistencies, things that were different than they would have been in the TV series. And they were small things. They were small things. But I found a bunch, and I, I sum submitted those. I showed them, you wouldn't say this. We would use the abbreviation, or we would use the entire word. Um, things like that. And they, they changed all those things. Well, there was one mistake that you didn't call to their attention. Which no, one? No, <laughs> I did not call it to their attention. <laughs> and what was that, Walter? <laughs> well, see, I read the script, and I was, you know, very honest and very straightforward, and to the best of my uh, ability as a, a person with some experience with writing, uh, I, I told them everything except the fact that Chekhov wasn't in the episode that <laughs> Khan did on the television series. <laughs> I just felt that, you know, what if I told them and they said, you're right, my God, we've got to give this part to somebody else. <laughs> I couldn't risk it, guys. I couldn't risk that happening. So instead, instead, I made up an explanation for where, where was Chekhov during Space Seed, you know? And Chekhov, and I, and I, Went to conventions, people sitting in the audience, and I said, Chekhov was so sick with a condition called Malaprovsky's malady that he was ensconced in the bathroom and had been there for hours and hours. <laughs> well, poor Mr. Khan's genetically engineered kidneys were about to explode. And he was pounding on the door, begging to be let in, until finally the door opened, Chekhov stepped out, Khan grabbed him and said, your face, I will never forget. <laughs> yeah, so everybody forgave me for that. Uh, the, the, the little postscript that goes with that story, and it happened, it happened in the last two or three years, I was somewhere, and some young person came up to me, young 20, 21-year-old guy, and he said, uh, I heard this story uh, about Chekhov being in the bathroom, and that's why we didn't see him on Spacey. I said, yeah, well, you know, that was a joke. That was something I, I made up. And he stopped me and looked at me and stared me in the eyes and said, well, I'm going I'm to consider it canon. <laughs> I, I got to ask you, because, you know, it, it's no secret that George for years was lobbying to be captain. You are now the president of the Federation, thanks to Terry Metalis. So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit, now the cat's out of the bag, about how you ended up, or your, your descendant ended up becoming the president of uh, the Federation in Star Trek Picard Season 3. Well, I think the best way to find that out is to ask Terry, since he is, he's here, well, except... <laughs> Mentions almost over. Um, it, it was his. It was his idea. It was totally his idea. I lived 
one block this way, one block that way, from, from Todd, Captain. Uh, Stashwick. Stashwick, yeah. yeah. We live two blocks away. I walk my dog there all the time. You play Dungeons and Dragons with him. What? You, I think you play Dungeons and Dragons with him. No. No. <laughs> um, but we got to talking one day, and, uh, and he mentioned to me that Terry, who I didn't know at all, was thinking about using Chekhov uh, in the third season of uh, um, Picard. Picard. Yeah. I said, great, great. And then, you know, you walk 10 feet away and you dismiss it. You know, it, it's pie in the sky. It, it's not the kind of thing that's going to happen. Um, so I didn't put a lot of uh, credibility in it. I, I thought it was fun to think about, but it wasn't fun. But then they, they called me and, and uh, they initially, this is interesting, initially they were going to actually put it on film. They were going to actually have me being taped, uh, shot. And um, I thought that would have been great, except, you, you know, when I think about it in, in retrospect, I think part of the fact that just hearing the voice is, is part of the discovery. Of that, that I was in there, and I think that that, that, that gives it, kind of underscores the surprise, right? Because you got to say, wait a second, that voice sounds familiar. Holy cow, that's him, you know, and you you get to make that discovery, and I I think that was that's a good it was a fun thing, it was a good thing, but yeah, I, you know, I he's evidently done that with with other characters. He's brought them back. Um, and that's a, that's a neat thing to do, I think. And the funny thing is, he, he named that character, your descendant, Anton Chekhov. Yeah, yeah that's not course. funny, that's very touching. It, it is. And it's very touching. For, because he named it after the After the playwright. And Anton Yelchin. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who, who I met, by the way, and it was a really charming, uh, very bright young man. And um, it was great fun. I, um, I, you know, I was invited to the uh, premiere of their first movie, and uh, I went with some apprehension because I am not a totally giving, generous person. <laughs> <laughs> I was concerned about my reaction to the movie, how I was going to deal with the fact it was a whole new cast. You, you know, in, in, in effect, you interpret it in one way, usurping us and uh, our position with, with the public, um, and whether, you know, how, how, how much I could tolerate this whole thing happening, and, you know, losing our identity, whatever the hell it was that was bothering me. So I went in there fearful, really, that I was going to be a real jerk about it, and, and, and not be able to enjoy it. And so it turned out, I'm a Great guy. <laughs> I loved it. I loved the movie. I thought it was great fun. And I thought Anton was great. I was worried about how I'd feel about that. Uh, didn't bother me. No, didn't, I didn't feel threatened at all. I had actually grown up <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in between. I had grown up to some degree. So, okay. So the, the whole point is to bring to this one moment, movie is over. We were all having a big party in a, uh, in a parking lot, a few blocks away. And every, all the actors from the show, they all are 
surrounded by journalists and reporters and, 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 and Anton has his group, totally surrounding him. And I just walked by, I didn't want to bother him. And he sees me and goes, Walter, Walter, I've got my own Chekhov doll. <laughs> That's great. I want to ask you, before we ask for questions, um, in addition to acting, you've also, you know, had a career where you've written as well, and it's a different muscle, but you, you've done some really fun stuff. Obviously, you've done books. You did an episode of the animated series, The Infinite Vulcan, which, uh, and then, um, you know, as you know, we absolutely love your memoir of Star Trek The Motion Picture, which is a really great look inside the making of a very troubled movie, very honest, because uh, it was written contemporaneously with the making of the movie. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of exercising that muscle and what it does for you in addition to acting and, and sort of the stuff that you really have enjoyed doing over the years in terms of writing? Well, Microphone. I, I feel pretty pleased with the stuff that's... Been Microphone. The stuff that's been published. Uh, Chekhov's Enterprise was great fun. That was easy. I mean, I'd go from the, the, the sound stage to my dressing room and I'd sit down and I'd write. And I wrote every day on what we did every day. Uh, so that was, that was a lot of fun. I, I had never written... I, well, you know, I did. I, I, I wrote a, a satiric fantasy called Buck Alice and the Actor Robot, which was a novel. Um, it was a kind of zany novel that I think had support in some quarters and probably not in others. Um, I, had never, I had never written formally. I'd never put anything down on paper that was more than a page or two. But that happened. I wrote that novel because we had just been canceled. The series had been canceled, 1969-70. And I woke up in the morning and I, what the hell am I going to do with my life? I had, you know, the phone wasn't ringing. My, I wasn't in demand. And I had a baby at home. And, uh, and I didn't know how to go about my life. And... Um, I mean, it was really, I was really depressed. I, I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. I, had, I saw no objective. And then one day I said, Walter, sound a little bit like George here, Walter, uh, <laughs> you've got to get up. You better get, go forward with your life. So I said, well, I'll write. I don't need anybody you know, else to, you know, to help me with that. I can just sit down and write. So I took paper and pen to the library every day, and I wrote for several hours, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, finished this bizarre novel. The interesting thing was I, I showed it to three writers. I showed it to George Clayton Johnson. There was another reader, writer on, uh, who wrote under a pseudonym, Shimon Winselberg was his right. name. He wrote under a, a, a pseudonym for Star Trek. George Clayton Johnson wrote for Star Trek. They both thought it could be published. They both thought, thought it would have, had enough merit to be published. Then I showed it to Harlan Ellison, who was the hottest writer 
of the, of the time, you know. Uh, wrote, he wrote stories in store windows and, you know, collected a crowd around him. And he hated my book. He just thought it was terrible. So his vehemence propelled me to, to take it and stick it in a drawer. And I stuck it in a drawer for 18 years. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't look at it again for 18 years. Then somebody said, I remember this book you wrote, and could I look at it again? And I showed it to them, and they showed it to somebody else, and they showed it to a third person. And the third person had a small publishing company, and they published it. And um, then a the second small company read it, and when the when the, the uh, contract expired with the first one, the second one published it. And to help me, a third company read it and published it. So it's been published by three different companies, probably as many publishers as, as most people have, with the fewest copies actually sold. <laughs> Yeah. So that. So, so anyway. So um, so when I when I wrote Chekhov's Enterprise, that was just something that I could. And we had so much time to kill on that first movie because you know we didn't work for. We came to work and we didn't hurry. We just was hurry up and wait. You know, for hours and hours and hours. Um, and then when we did work, I was able to just go back into my room and write down what we did. So yeah, that was that was great fun. Because I know Harlan was so encouraging. Oh. A real nurturer. That was, that was a really mercurial relationship. Very, very tough. Um, I hung up on him. I called him names. Um, I used the, the F word. <laughs> Fabulous. Fire truck? <laughs> many times. Many times. Okay, let's do some questions. Um, uh, from the audience, I don't see, there's no mic out up there apparently, but if you can just uh, put up your Stand hand. Stand up, talk loudly, and we'll repeat your question. Yeah, absolutely, oh, they're I in the back. They're, they're, I think they might be bringing a, okay, a microphone out. Oh, while we're waiting, go ahead, please. Hi. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's... It's Let's Make a Deal. Oh, oh no, they're, uh, they're uh -oh. upstairs. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> My God, now he's Bob Barker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he walks among them. <laughs> Thank you. Um, hi, I just want to say Chekhov was my favorite character in the original series. So, um, uh, my question is, uh, do you have any uh, nice stories about working with Nichelle Nichols? Well, she, did I have any nice stories about working with Nichelle? Oh, yeah, we got along... We got along very well. Um, she was, you know, fun. She was always fun. Um, we, I, I started telling this story, and I haven't, I, I, I never did it in the past, but we, um, we, were, we were doing a convention in the early 70s. I think it was in Los Angeles, and we're still doing them there. And, um, we were backstage and about to go on, and some guy comes up to us with a magazine, and it's, a, it's an old beat-up magazine with a picture of Michelle 
without any clothes. And, um, and he says, is this you? You know, total moron. And, uh, and I said, what the hell are you doing with that? I said, put it away. Don't take it out again. And he did. And Michelle hadn't, hadn't said anything. Um, but about 10 minutes after that, or after we stepped off stage, she was at my shoulder, and I heard her say, thank you, Walter. And we never, never mentioned it again. We never brought it up again. But I think it was a bonding moment. Mm. It's like she knew that I had her back and that I would be there under those kind of circumstances. And it was just, it was, became part of the deal, you know. Thank you. Other, other questions? We have, a, we have a mic now? Oh, no, we have Walter in the audience. We don't need a mic. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> other, yeah, Anybody? quickly, come on up. Uh, so, you know, we haven't talked at all about... <laughs> we, we need the microphone so we it can all hear you. We haven't talked at all about post-Star uh, Trek, and I am a fan of Babylon 5 as well. Um, and, uh, you know, you talked about the cast kind of structure in filming the original series. How does that contrast with your experience filming uh, the recurring roles on Battle on Five? We, I haven't, we haven't exchanged any money, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. For me, that's a great question, because I have only good things to say about having worked on Babylon 5. Um, not that I don't have good things to say about Star Trek, but you know, there's a bump in the road here and there on Star Trek. But uh, no, everybody I worked with on Babylon 5 was great. They were just so, of course, I had Star Trek behind me. And that was part of what I, I, I that legacy I brought to, to Babylon 5 and my appearances there. And they were, I guess they were all fans of Star Trek, you know. But everybody treated me terrifically. Um, everybody. Uh, and uh, it was a joy from start to finish. I did 12 episodes all together. And... Uh, Everybody from J. Michael Straczynski, the creator, the writer-creator of Star Trek, uh, Babylon 5, and, and all of the actors, they're all terrific. So, I just don't, I'm sorry, guys, I don't have anything bad to say. <laughs> Any other, other questions for Walter? What was your inspiration for playing Bester? He was so evil, but I think he thought he was good. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, people say to me, the young lady asked me, what was my inspiration for playing Bester? People say to me, how did it feel like playing a bad guy? Well, you know, I have a responsibility as an actor. And I, I, I try not to editorialize the character. He's not a bad guy. How can I play him? Truth, with, with truth, and, and care about his convictions if I consider him a bad guy. So, for me, I have to embrace what I can find in him that I can totally support. His allegiance to his crew, to, to the core, to the psychor. That's, you know, that's something that I can, I can totally um, 
support, totally get behind. And that's the, way I, that's the way I try to deal with any character I play. I played a psychopathic murderer in a play called Night Must Fall, who carries, a guy who carries around a woman's head in a hat box. And um, I, I, I never let myself think of him in terms of a psychopathic killer. He, was, he had justification. He had reason. Um, if, I don't, if I don't believe it, the audience isn't going to believe it. That's the way I feel. So that, that, that's, that's the way I felt about uh, playing Bester. It was, it was and, and you know, the way uh, J. Michael wrote it, there was a lot of room for expansion of who this guy was. He, uh, yeah, he did things that uh, people didn't like, but he was, he was also, he, he, he had a, uh, he had a love in his life, a woman that he loved very much. Uh, he was loyal to his, to, to the people in, in his core. So it was just a, a, a light all the way around. I, I, I never got tired of it. You know, Joe just did that animated movie. Has he talked to you about doing more Babylon 5 in the future? No. No. <laughs> well, that's okay. No, you know, I don't take any umbrage at that, my God. I, I was... You know, the whole thing was kind of preposterous. What I've learned in these, oh, by the way, I'll be 87, you can say happy birthday. I mean, <laughs> um, 87, that's amazing. Um, what was I saying before that? Anybody remember? Preposterous. Preposterous. Uh, it, the, the, whole, the whole thing about not coming back for any more uh, Babylon 5. But the whole thing was... Because oh. it was preposterous. Oh, what was preposterous, yes. What? Oh, I don't know if this is what I, what I was leading up to. But one of the things that I find so amazing, life in general, and the older you get, you get guys, uh, the more I think you embrace this concept or this notion is how capricious it is. You know, you think you got it all figured out and you're going to follow a particular path and your life is going to, you know, have a certain direction and you'll, you'll strive for certain goals and some you'll achieve and some you won't. But it's, it's remarkable. The life changes that, that occur that changed the course of everything that you thought was going to happen. Um, I was supposed to do one episode of Babylon 5. I was in Chicago doing a convention, talking to a bunch of people like you, and uh, I had a heart attack. And uh, they rushed me to the hospital. I had a quadruple bypass. Uh, I was in the hospital eight days, and I had to call Joe and say, I'm not going to be available to, to do this episode uh, when, you, when you want me to do it. But thank you anyway, I really appreciate it. But first they tried to hold on to the episode, not to do it. But they ran out. He wrote every episode. So they, they ran out of episodes, and he had to call me and say, Walter, uh, unfortunately, we, uh, we had to shoot that episode. Uh, but I'll find something else for you. 
You know how many times you hear that in a lifetime? You don't have to be an actor to hear that, you know. That just happens. And, and people sometimes are quite sincere. They really mean it. But it never does. It never freaking happens. My whole baptism of fire, which is another story about the first two jobs that I had. Maybe I'll come to you, I don't know. But anyway, um, he found another character for me to play. I didn't think he would. I, th I thought it was over. You know, I had my shot. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. This is what you can expect during the course of your life. But instead of being a one-shot, you know, it became a recurring role. And a recurring role that was so much fun to play. It was so, it was so meaty. There was so much to do. It wasn't just an expository character. Expository character is what I had on Star Trek. A character who says, Captain, there's something out there. I don't know what it is. <laughs> and, and then, of course, the next line is from our captain. Well, let me tell you what I think. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get all the emotion and all the, the dimension and everything. So we, we would just set up the scene, set up the, the story, and then we're not really uh, important to the outcome, or as important. But in any case, going to work each day on Babylon and having a character who... It's on a build-up to detonation. <laughs> <laughs> it says zero, 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 destruct zero. That's worrisome. So, oh, yeah, that's, it's even louder, isn't it? Okay, maybe it isn't louder. Maybe I'm just losing it. <laughs> anyway, so it was great. I, I just, it was the best fun. I mean, I've done, the, you know, like the Hitchcock that you saw the little clip from. That was great fun. That was playing opposite James Caan. And, uh, James Caan, yeah. He was yeah. the good guy and I was the bad guy. And... Um, Two of the actors who played my henchmen in that show went on to having their own series. Zalman King was the young lawyers. Right. And Tony Masanta, Tony Masanti was uh, Toma, a series called Toma. So they, you know, they had very successful careers as long as they were with us. So yeah, that, that was great fun. I've done, you know, several other guest appearances before Star Trek. That, you know, were challenging. So I don't know what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> Walter, could you imagine on the day when you look back that Joe D'Augusta brought you in to audition for this little space show that was getting middling ratings the first season on NBC, that it would change your life utterly and completely? No, no. Who, who knew that? That's what I'm talking about. You don't know things like that. I mean, they, they happen, and sometimes they don't. You know, there are people, I know actors who have I've always thought were, were wonderful. And, you know, you may have seen them, but you don't know their names. They never, they never broke through. And, I, you know, and, and there's no damn good reason why they didn't. Other, other than perhaps they just never found the, the character that they could play that would give them that kind of impetus and give them that kind of propulsion to their careers. But I, I truly know many actors who, you know, could be s s standing here and you'd be very pleased to uh, know their work. 
Yes, sir. One last question. Uh, Walter, uh, I want to ask you, uh, what, what may have given you more satisfaction, getting your own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame or being maybe in the movie with uh, Bruce Campbell and Moontrap? <laughs> the question that's is a what? good question. No, hell no, that's a good question. I don't discount that at all. I haven't done that many other movies, you know, other than the, the seven Star Trek movies. Uh, I've just had, you know, low, very low-budget films that I've been involved in. Um, except that the, the Walk of Fame thing was about 20 years too late, you know? Everybody else got theirs back in the... When we were either shooting the movies or right, right the late '80s. Pardon? The late '80s. Late '80s, yeah. And um, and when they were getting them, it cost three thousand dollars. You you had to raise three thousand dollars, or somebody had to. Well, Paramount came up with the money for Bill and Leonard and the Forest, and then they found the reason to come up with the money for Jimmy, um, because they were doing it. A DVD issue or VHS or something, and uh, they uh, by G by getting Jimmy Star, they help generate generate funds from somewhere. In any case, they, they got it all handed to them pretty much. But the time it came to me, it was no longer three thousand dollars. It was thirty thousand dollars. Yeah. $30,000 in order to have a start. And then you, of course, had to be invited. You know, they had to vote on it. And evidently, of the three people who voted, there was one guy who just wasn't ever going to vote for me. So he died. <laughs> so, so once he passed on, they, they, they reconsidered, they, they had a change of mind. And you know where they, so we had raised from fans, this was, you know, mine was probably the, the truest uh, reflection. Yours is uh, 10 times more valuable. Yeah. <laughs> it's more a reflection of, of how fans felt because the first 20 grand came from them. Yeah. They, we raised it, a couple of people, on my behalf, raised that money. The final 10 came from Rod Roddenberry. They went to him and said, would you be, and he said, absolutely. So he made it possible. And what a sweet thing that was, what a neat thing that was. Yeah, so it's nice. There are so many people on the Walk of Fame, you know, and they're all stepped on every single day. It's a metaphor. Well. So I'm not sure how much of an ego boost that is at this point. No, I'm, I'm pleased that, 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 they were, that they finally included me. Um, it's not something that I ever lost sleep over. Um, but it, it was nice. It was nice. Well, it's very rare that you can come and spend an hour and a half with a, a true legend, and you just did, Walter Koenig, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, as of the Galaxy Con tradition, they're going to take a selfie of all of you. Because if you gather around Walter to take a picture, they're going to take a
I want to point out one of the other things I love about that interview. Again, I felt the crowd really came through. Yeah. I thought they were great questions. Yeah, absolutely. And it really helps when after we finish our our interview that you know we're not let down by the audience asking you know what's your favorite color yeah you know um you know uh and uh what was it like working with george um it's not like he was working with george paul and ringo um oh, so that would be amazing but i i found it uh I found it very funny that uh, he and my mom were in the same uh, hospital in New York at the same time. Uh, that was when we were backstage before the panel started, because he was working in New York as. Um, well, we talked about it on stage. We oh, mentioned did we? it on okay. stage. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, you know, I, I he said, uh, you know, I was a a, a uh, what's the word a, a, a ordinary. Uh, Orderly. orderly, orderly. Yes, yeah. uh, the the disorderly, orderly. Um, and uh, at uh, Mount Sinai in uh, in New York, and that's where my mom was going through nursing school. So it's. Uh, you think they were playing Chekhov's Run during that? I hope dun. not. Dun, 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 when I think of him in a hospital, I always think of that woman who leaps up from her dialysis after McCoy. Doctor gave me a pill, and I grew a new kidney. <laughs> See, I like that. I think that's funny. Actually, I love that moment. I think that's I funny. Think that's I wish funny. it wasn't in a Star Trek movie, but I think it's funny. <laughs> oh, so serious. Yeah, you're darn right I am. <laughs> um, you know, one of the restaurants we didn't talk about in Austin that I liked, I don't know if you liked as much as I did, was the review at the Fairmont Hotel, which yeah. is family style. You know, family style can be hit or miss, you know, but in this case... <laughs> Uh, we were all in the family because well, it's, uh, it's a hit if you order all of the appetizers. Well, that was the yeah. and then you call it. I get there. I'm the, I'm the last one to arrive, and I just there's all this great stuff on the menu, and I can't decide. Ashley's already not eating; he's done for the night. Yeah. So I just order way too much. It's like, oh, this sounds good. This sounds good. This sounds good. You sure, sir? I you, I think you have. No, I'm gonna get this and this and this. And it was like it was ridiculous. I we talk about it. it was more like a tasting menu because I taste everything but not eat it all. Well, you know what? You're like Shatner. Shatner does exactly the same thing. Well, I you just I just like my eyes exceed my stomach in this case. It's just well, like everything was everything looked so good. They had, I mean, but it was like they had, it was it was an interesting combination though because it was they had, uh, they specialized in Asian dishes and Italian dishes, which is not something you commonly see. And there was some Indian dishes in there too that you got. I did, I did, I did. Yeah. No wonder um, your belly hurt in the morning. That's right. Oh my gosh! I, I, and I, I tell you, I really wanted to get Mexican food, and, and and we had a Mexican meal booked at ATX Kachina, which John Carney had also vowed, uh, vouched yeah. for. Um, but what happened was we ended up going to dinner with the Next Generation cast on Friday. So then we had originally booked Perry's, so we had to change Perry's to Sunday. And so I got screwed out of Mexican. Oh, you know where else we went? Ashley, you didn't go with us. But Darren and I went for barbecue next to the convention oh, yeah. center. And apparently this is not considered like the five-star barbecue. Like there's supposed to be some really great barbecue. But it there was are. pretty damn good. It was a tiny hole in the wall. It was like in this little red shack and really run down, but exactly what how you would portray it in a movie. Totally. And you order at the window you know, no waiter service, no Lieutenant Yar. And, uh, and you, you know, and, and what'd you get? You got, uh, you got, uh, what did you try tip sandwich or what'd you get? No, I got the, uh, I got the, uh, smoky, uh, uh, sausage links on a sandwich. Okay. It was 
amazing. And I got roast chicken and I got some corn, some great corn. Yeah, I got and corn, uh, 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 cream corn. Which was What was that place? Perfect. Right next to the convention center. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't remember what it was called. But it, it was, was like a red on. farmhouse or yeah. red cottage. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And it was quick. You ordered yeah. and everything was ready right away, but it was yeah. it was like warm and it was good. And, Ooh. you know, um, I, I enjoyed it. You know, it had some good barbecue sauce. And yeah. um, it was exactly what you needed. It was exactly what we needed because we didn't have a lot of time. And um, the restaurant at the hotel was not open for lunch, right. or at least the one we wanted to go to. Apparently, the one by the tree was. There's this tree inside the hotel. It's, I, guess, it's, I don't know if it's Bill Shatner or what it is, but there's this tree growing. That I guess when they built the hotel, it was a very old tree. So they built the hotel around the tree. Beautiful tree. And they built this whole restaurant around it. It's yeah. really nice. Um, and they have a bar there. And, and, and I didn't realize at the time they had a restaurant because yeah. we, we, we went to the, um, this was a place called Garrison, which we never ate, which is supposed to be very good in the hotel. But I'm glad we went to review instead. Yep. I love it. That almost reminded me like of a Vegas because like you walk in and it's like a street inside, yeah. you know, there are a couple of restaurants yeah. and there's like neon signs. And it's like you're in the middle of a street somewhere. And then you get good. hit by a car and it's weird. <laughs> well, I mean, we literally never needed to leave the hotel except to go to the convention center, but right. fortunately we did. And even then, it was on a covered bridge. Yeah, well, yeah, covered, but not uh, not, uh, not enclosed. Yeah, not enclosed. Yeah. I mean, I it was how hot, hot it bridge. would be if it were enclosed. Oh my god! Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, and then and yeah and and but I'm glad because you know I just felt like I've heard so much about Austin. I know you love it, Ashley. You love Austin. Yep. And I really what I saw, I loved. And um, but unfortunately. You know, other than uh, the only where place. So on Monday, I'm like, what are we, you know, going to do? And Darren was like, I just want to chillax. We had a really long weekend. So I, you know, I ended up going to the, uh, to the LBJ museum, which I'm so glad I went. It was just, which is I different felt- than the JBL museum because yes. that's just speakers that's or the right. BLT museum. <laughs> no, but it's a great presidential L-N-O-T. museum because I've been, I've been to, um, the Kennedy Museum, I've been to the Reagan Museum, I've been to the Nixon Museum, and now I've been to the Lyndon Bates Johnson Museum. But I, I do want to go to more of the uh, presidential museums. And uh, and um, and they do so have an audio uh, uh, audio animatronic of uh, LBJ there. They do. It's not very good. It's not Disney good. It's not a, an auto-erotic... No, it's not. And, and it, it also has that problem where you can hear dog. the gears moving and everything. Right. Um, but they had, and I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, these great things where you pick up a phone and you can listen to conversations recorded in the White House between LPJ and different people. And there are a couple of conversations. They're, you know, completely uncensored, right. uh, unedited. People, because people forget they're being recorded. So it's a very natural. So it's like being a fly on the wall of the White House in the Oval Office and, uh, and, um, or fly on Mike Pence's head. And, um, I listened to, um, like him talking to, Hoover, him to, there's a fascinating conversation he has with Robert Kennedy. And then there's another one, uh, which him and Martin Luther King and, and, and one where he's talking to Jackie Kennedy only a few weeks after the assassination. And you just see a masterful politician at work. It was, it was so interesting. It was a really good presidential museum. I remember on, on one of these, uh, uh blooper albums, uh, a conversation, uh, that LBJ had on the phone with his tailor and he's talking about, uh, can you can you let out my pants in the crotch a little bit? I need a little extra room down there, and it's just so great. 
That's what Shatner said in the outtakes, too. Right. Remember, it's sabotage. <laughs> you say sabotage. Sabotage. Say sabotage. So, um, I'm glad you I, had fun. I, I, Bill, I, Bill, you couldn't have been nicer to you this trip. He was well, glad he, to he, see you. He, he, uh, he, I walked past him and I said, Hey, Bill. He said, Hey, Darren, how are you? And it was, it was great because, of course, uh-huh. he, he knows me from the Ticonderoga uh, thing. I think he, I think he thinks that I live in Ticonderoga, and I'm only oh. <laughs> there for that. Uh, but uh, it was, it was great, and uh, it's always good to see Bill. Always good. He has such a good time at these shows. He's so good to the fans, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he he loves them, and you know it, it doesn't hurt to have money. Yeah. Well, that was the one thing when Walt, when we were talking about, you know, because I think Leonard Leonard was a truly awful singer. Right. We were talking to Walter and then, you know, Walter had to go for the jugular on Bill. But the thing about Bill is like Common People is a great album. Yeah. Common People is a great album. Has been is great. Common People is is the album. Has been. I'm sorry. Has been is a great album. Common People is the single. The song Common by Pulp that he did the cover on with Joe Jackson. And then Has Been is on there. It's terrific. Um, There's some great songs on that. Yeah, of course. The Rocket Man is ridiculous, but it also is like brilliant. It's performance art. It's performance art. Yeah, and you know, so I actually find the you know Shatner musical performances really interesting. Whereas if you've listened to Nimoy sing uh, Ballad of Bilbo Baggins or Voyage of a Sad Planet or, or, um, or Proud Mary. Proud Mary. It's, it's right? atrocious. It's terrible because he or thinks he can I walk the line. Oh I walked God. a lot. I mean, yeah. it's, there's nothing redeeming about the Nemoy song. And look, we love Leonard. We of love Leonard, we but he was he was deranged. <laughs> he thought he, he, could look, sing. he was a great photographer. He yeah, was a good director. Shoulders, was, but only one of them can sing. You know, you but know. Uh, <laughs> but 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 Bill was different. I, I think because Bill knows he's not a great singer, so he just puts all his passion into it. Yeah, and and then you know, working with these great people like. Um, uh, uh, um, the people he collaborates with, some really great people, uh, yeah. you know, Brad Paisley and a couple other people. A little too much country music in Texas for me, by the way. Um, but uh, they make up for it with the meat. They make up for it with the meat. That's true. This is true. But uh, it's it's always great to spend time with Walter Koenig. I I've had the I've appeared on a couple of panels with him. I, mean, I spent some time with him on a panel when I was in Sidious many years ago, uh, where he was being honored. And and got to appear on a panel with him, and I just it's something I get such a kick out of him, and and I've I've got to spend some time with him, and I just I really admire him because, you know, he didn't always get treated great, you know, he he talks a lot about how he didn't know about the animated series that he wasn't in it, yeah. you know, he 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 wasn't included originally in Phase Two, you know, he's been left out of a lot of the animated series, um, you know, he's always you know an afterthought, right, and yet he loves Star Trek. He is sort of a guy, he's the most scholarly, like he remembers the most, or he did, about Star Trek, and he, I think he was the most interested in it. Right. Um, you know, he, he wrote Chekhov's Enterprise, it wasn't ghostwritten. He right. wrote his autobiography. I just find him a very interesting guy, and it doesn't hurt that he's from, you know, New York also. He's very New York, and I love that about him. So, um, it's always great to spend time with Walt Koenig, and, you know, one of the things that was hysterical, I said to him, I don't know, did you guys see this on social media? He said, come see me at GalaxyCon before I die. Yes. Hilarious. Yeah. So I told him, I said, I thought that was hysterical. And I said, it took on a whole viral life on social. 
Yeah, because like, all smiled. these all these people responded, "Oh my God, you you you'll never die! Don't talk like that!" And they they don't realize that he's he's pulling their leg. He's yeah, fun it's funny. Yeah, it's a good sense of humor. He's being yeah. self-deprecating. It was wonderful. Yeah. And it was great having a booth next to him. We got to see the excitement of the fans and meeting him and how how happy he was to meet his fans. Because, of course, Walter's gone through some, you know, terrible tragedy. You know, his yeah. wife of 50-something years passed away a couple months ago, and he's yeah. he's had a rough year. And yep. I think the conventions have really helped buoy his spirits. I hope so, because so, uh, it's... Uh, and I know we did. Well, yeah, because that's what we do. <laughs> We're the inglorious buoy spurts. We bring uh, those tall joy. ships really buoy the we spirits of the nation after and, and gratitude game. to wherever we go. We're much like Indeed. the solar starfish. <laughs> yeah. Great joy and gratitude. And gratitude. gratitude. Anyway, uh, well, this was fun. I'm glad I stayed, guys. Well, wait, we're yeah. we're relatively happy. We're Very getting used to it. <laughs> we're getting used to it again. Yeah, I know. You were so excited you were going to have Scott Mance as a well, we had, You know, we had images in our mind of being free and uh, and uh, and uh, wild again. And, yeah, uh, you know. And fancy free. But it's not uh, not to be, so yeah. we're, we're glad you're here. Make sure you carry Farrell in your spot, honestly. She would have been great. Yeah. And yeah. she's going to be hosting a podcast soon. She's going to be uh, hosting with Armin the Shuttle Pod Show. Uh, is that it? Yeah, because they're finishing Enterprise and they're going to start Deep Space Nine. I think it's called something else. I don't think it's the shuttle. I don't think it's the shuttle pod. No? Am I wrong? That's right, Cisco. Aren't we the Transformers? Don't we know? Of course, that's a competing podcast. So why do we? So we're not supposed to know. Look, we have no competition. We're big enough to mention. There is no comparison. Particularly our friends. I was happy to mention Scott Mance on Enterprise Incidents or our friends at Trek Movie on the, uh, they do their podcast, whatever it's called. And uh, because we love Brian Drew and all the the gang over there. Um, And I'm happy to mention the show pod show. We don't, look, we do our own thing. You either get it or you don't. There's no, there's no other. No, that's Voyagers. No, it's the shuttle pod show. The Delta Flyer is the Voyager show. That's with those Voyager people. I think the shuttle taking, pod I was taking, oh, No, I think they're taking over the Delta Flyer show. No, I and, think they're taking over shuttle Space pod. Nine. I think they're taking we'll over. We'll have all this sorted out next time. Yeah. Look, and we'll it's uh, Armin with our research and Terry. Yeah. And we'll let you know when we come back next week what show they're taking. Because it's not going to happen until after the strike ends. But right. uh, they're going to be taken over. They're taking over. Yeah. A few of their fancy heaters. And uh, one day they're going to ask for a piece of our action. We're not going to give it to them. But oh, of course, if they ask us to be on the show, we'll do it. I don't like to do other people's podcasts, but if it's a friend, I'll do it. Yeah. I just don't have the time because we Are spend so much time OPP? on our podcast. Yeah, you know me. You know, you ever see these things on social where they say, join us, where we're going to be joined with so- so- but somebody you never heard of. It's like they're promoting, yeah. like, it's like their friend is on the show. Who cares? Why are you mentioning them? When nobody knows who they are. It's Mark- like we say, join us with so-and-so. It's usually a celebrity or somebody you know who it is. Somebody to get, we don't say, Join us because, uh, you know, Frank Cohn is on. You know, Mark, it's like... This just in uh, from uh, uh, August 27th, 2023 on trekmovie.com. Armin Shimmerman and Terry Farrell join the Delta Flyers podcast for Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Really? You sure it's not the shuttle pod show? I'm sure because they they finished, the Delta Flyers finished up Voyager. You know and what? So- I think Terry told me they were joining the shuttle pod. 
Well, hold on. I gotta, I gotta see what she's saying. I'm saying this is on. I know, but I think she told me the wrong thing. Is what I'm saying. It's disinformation. What you got there? They're spreading different. Maybe she was a guest on the Disinformation. She was a guest on the Shuttlepot show. Yeah. Okay. They're taking over the Delta Flyers after the after the. Now that they've finished their exciting exploration of Voyager, of the Voyager, they're going to go to a good show. I mean, Delta Quadrant. Yeah, they're going to go to Deep Space Nine, the great Deep Space Nine, which we Correct. loved. And I'll I'll be I'll be interested in that because Armin is so interesting, so articulate, and Terry obviously yeah. is so much fun and has so much to say that that should be good. That should be worth tuning in for. Yeah, and they have terrific. That's the most I've ever plugged another show that's not ours. <laughs> that I have yeah. nothing to do with. I never. I make it a point not to do that. But well, uh, the I'm great thing is we don't that. have to plug our show here because they're already listening. That's yeah. right. But and I you, love Terry. I'm happy to say good things about Terry because she's course. wonderful. And she's going to so join us on on our trek around the uh, locations of Star Trek starting next year, and uh, it's going to be well, great. Well, Terry wants to go to space. I mean, yeah, she's she serious. She's like, maybe we can get them to fly us to space. Like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, no, I don't know. And she's like, but she wants to go. And I said, I'm you not going. Make me. I'm not going. I, I, I ain't going, Mister Quinn. I ain't going on that rusty old barge. I, <laughs> uh, look, I saw what happened with those Titanic people. I'm yeah. not going to space. No, I'm good. We're all very comfortable down here. Like if I'm 95, I mean, maybe I'll go to space. But right now, about it. no interest. What better way for the Trexperts to go out than in space? Yeah, and but you know no. what? Here's what it was. We would all die with Terry Farrell. And you know what the headline would be? Deep uh-huh. Space Nine actress and some other guys and four other yeah. people die in horrible space <laughs> and accidents. And four unknown dudes. That's right. You know, would they mention Thor and X-Men First Class? No, no because no. you're a writer. If you directed yeah. it, maybe, right? I'm even worse. You know, I unscripted, bunch of shows <laughs> people don't care about. It's like terrible. And Darren, forget it. It's like, excuse me? I have Aaron. a 35 year long career working on. I know, which means which, none of our careers would mean anything. Be the actor, the actor dies, and and a bunch of other people with her. But you see, I, I'm I'm fine with that. I'm okay, fine I'm with not. that. And then we can be a tree. That's right. That would be the real Star Trek legacy. <laughs> Terry named characters after us. Yeah, great. They'll name a starship after us. You know, those guys, I like those guys from the Trexperts, but they died in a horrible space accident filming their That's right. The Altman, the Doctorman, and the Miller so were all wouldn't destroyed. They be, wouldn't they be happy to know that I named a spaceship after No, I'd be happy no, it, not to be it dead. Would be, no, it would be the USS Inglorious. That's what it would be. Yeah, you're right. You know what? As long as they called it the, the Inglorious and not Inglorious. We got to get back to the Inglorious. We're bo- right. Yeah. If they say, oh, beam us aboard, beam us aboard Inglorious. No, Welcome beam to us Inglorious, aboard the Inglorious. That yeah. would almost we'll, be worth it. If that it. happens, we'll come back as squirrels and run right up his pant leg. That just we'd haunt him. Oh my! We haunt. We haunt Terry. Would be like, you know, I, let's just not go to space. We can avoid this whole yeah. problem. No going into space. No, we'll Fuck send space. The, we'll send the crew, and then we'll we'll watch, waving. It'll be like you know Gary Seven trying to stop this the ship from going up. <laughs> Dun, 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 I'll, I'll sit there and dun, pet dun, ISIS. Dun, you, you know, the cat, the little cat, the black <laughs> yeah. cat. If we know who ISIS is. No, you know why I say that? Because the one time we mentioned ISIS on Facebook, oh, they almost right. banned us. Because they thought that's we were correct. talking about the terrorist group and oh not the God. cat. Because right now, Echelon has intercepted this podcast. And it's like, oh my God, these guys are potential terrorists. No, we're just Star Trek fans. Right? right? We're talking about ISIS the cat, not the fucking caliphate. The caliphate. 
Not talking about fit. that. We're talking about the cat. They both start with C. Totally different things. Almighty Isis. The action figure. Sorry. Can we get out of here now? Yeah. Please. Thank God. No, I'm thinking about retiring. After all this, <laughs> are we in our eighth season now? I think I'm old enough to retire. Now. <laughs> We're almost done with our second five year mission. Wow, we got to do an episode on that. What was the 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 second five year mission about? What was it? It was about five years long. Oh, see, I saw that coming. Saw it coming. Okay. And I, anyway, yeah. uh, listen. You can uh, follow us on Inglorious Trek and Glorious Trek Express on social. Go to trekexpressplus.com to subscribe to us. Um, or um. And you can always share your thoughts on the podcast and that the episodes are too long at trexpertsplus at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and uh, let us know any future guests you'd like to see on the uh, podcast. And now we say goodbye (laughs) to you and me and everyone else until next week when we will not be going to space on behalf of Ashley Edward Miller, Darren Docterman, and myself, Mark A. Altman. Keep on trekking and gloriously... Of course, good night and good luck.